Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Future in Review podcast. I'm Barrett Anderson, the COO of Future in Review and the host of this podcast. And for those of you who have never heard of Future in Review before, we run the annual FIRE conference, which The Economist has called the best technology conference in the world. The other arm of our business, Strategic News Service, provides its subscribers with the most accurate source of information about the future of technology and the global economy. So if you enjoy these updates, we ask that you sign up for a free trial of the Strategic News Service Global Report using the link below this video. And I am back this week talking to Mark Anderson, our uh, SNS CEO and Chair of FIRE, about his most recent global report. Now, if you are a member of SNS, you will already have received the full report in your inbox. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit today about some of the things in that report. Um, just to give you a sense of what you would be receiving as a member and what's going on in the world. So, Mark, your issue this week talks about technical solutions to social challenges. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious uh, to hear more about your perspective on the potential and shortfalls of those specific applications. Of social of, of technology to social challenges um so to start off maybe you could do you think in your opinion is it wise to assume that technical solutions apply to human problems regardless of type or size no there we're done so i really don't and um you know i think that you see this a lot in major issues whether it's crypto crashing or climate change engineering effects for the planet, or you know, there's kind of a nerd thing where we engineers want to fix things by applying a technical solution. Um, you kind of watch Elon stumbling around with all the problems he's got right now with, you know, buying Twitter. It, it raises the obvious question of, is it always appropriate to try to bring a technology solution to a human problem? And if not, why not? And there's some pretty good reasons why not, I think. So it's not as though technology solutions aren't great for, you know, that monkey wrench is good for certain jobs, but um, clearly there are aspects of society which don't behave well when one tries to force technical solutions into that space. And what, can you give us an overview of what you think those things are? Sure. And this will be, I guess we don't mind being controversial and this will be controversial, but um, one of the great effects for, for, for good or ill of the internet is that everyone is a publisher, everyone has a stage, a voice, you know. Should they? That sounds like a very elitist question, but it's not really. I think the Federalist Papers talked a lot about the tyranny of the majority in America, the tyranny of the minority in America. So there are a lot of ways of the wise people who study history have looked at how humans behave in, in situations involving money or power. Uh, where they behave badly. And so the question is, well, if we know that already about human nature, either about individuals or groups, then what should we do? And if the answer is just let them all have a stage or let them all be publishers, that's a kind of a stupid answer. I mean, really, what have we learned? Nothing. So now we see all these um, media properties struggling with very large teams of moderators, you know, thousands of people, and, and very large budgets to try to invent some kind of technology that will only allow the right kind of speech, not the wrong kind of speech, 
without knowing what that really means. Mm -hmm. It's not about law, really. And so um, we're struggling here. And I think that the main reason we're struggling is that we're not very good at having a, a deeper, honest conversation about the human side of this. It's, a, it's an embarrassing and, and probably politically inconvenient thing, you know, as, as Al Gore said, inconvenient truth, maybe, that um, uh, one example I gave in the Global Report was, if you were very interested in human history, would you quiz someone who'd never studied it? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. Well, that sounds elitist, but it's not elitist. It's just a thing, you know? It's, it's just like saying, would you take your car to get it repaired by someone who's never repaired a car before? Of course not. So there is such an array of interests and, and educational uh, backgrounds and abilities among the human population that everyone would agree that that's true. But what, is it therefore brilliant to give everyone power to change the world or to, to spoil the soup or to make everyone angry or to get money illegally or commit fraud or rob banks, whatever we normally do as a, as a species, all of which we do. Is that really a great idea? And, and I don't think it is really, but it, here we are. And so when you take it from that perspective, it's a little easier to understand the history of media. Let's talk about history for a minute, where even though um, uh, we've had organs that were horribly biased, Rupert Murdoch leaps to mind, you know, but, but um, throughout time, Newspapers that were owned by, you know, robber barons and so on, um, they were biased. But even those papers had editors. And so we're coming from a time where um, when we talk to ourselves as, a, as civilizations, we have used the editorial function to prevent complete craziness from hitting the front page. And, and as you know, Barrett, there's a, a legal thing here where, you know, in, in America at least, the red line is, you know, don't yell fire in a crowded theater. But, you know, that, and that comes out in, in the New York Times or in the Wall Street Journal is don't, don't run a headline that's not true about the war we're already in. An editor would stop that from happening. But that happens every five minutes on the net. So we've lost that editorial gift, I would call it a gift, um, to humanity. And we're trying to replace it with the poor people at Facebook and Twitter who have to actually read all this crap and often get to totally depressed themselves by reading and have to quit early. A lot of churn in that job. It's hard. It's emotionally hard to go through that because face it. I mean, there are a lot of people in the world who don't mean well, actually. Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's really hard. So I, I think that there is this really deep question about humanity, which we're being forced in a kind of a backhanded way to face and discuss whether we want to or not. And we're blaming Elon for it. But frankly, anybody who owns a media company or runs one uh, is, is in the same chair. You know, what are you doing about it? And, you know, when, when uh, if he's going to allow Trump back in, which I think is a huge mistake, uh, the, probably the worst guy in the world in terms of hate speech and calling for violence, and insurrection and all that, you know, wow, yeah, bad move. And so uh, how do you do it right? It's really hard to think about how to do it right. Yeah, I mean, there, there are all kinds of, just listening to you talk about this, it, come, it's, it strikes me that there are, you know, multiple, if you're talking about Twitter specifically, there are multiple uses of Twitter that are extremely useful 
yes. for journalists, especially, and media members around the world. One of those is getting insight out from communities that are under attack or where things are going on, getting on the ground information. But there's no there's no current sorting function to verify that information, right? And there's no current sorting function to make sure that someone who is a bad actor uh, is necessarily removed from being able to provide misleading information or false information. Uh, and there's no agreed upon set of characteristics. On a very would, large scale. For what would cl- for yeah. what would classify someone as a bad actor. Yes. And I think the the other aspect that you referenced is kind of like the, um, you know, they there's this idea of like the wisdom of the crowd, right? The crowd is really good at, at analyzing information and coming up with wisdom. But the other part of that is that there's the mania of the crowd, yeah. right? And what happens, what I've seen happen quite a lot on social media is someone will or some set, small set of actors will amplify a specific headline on purpose in a coordinated way to try and get more attention more attention to it and then the average user will be like oh my gosh this is you know it's it's an incendiary statement it's an upsetting statement the average user will react and amplify that further the media picks it up they turn it into a real story on the, uh, you know and it's just like this whole fomentation period that's not really about helping people understand what's going on it's it's um, weaponized there's a technical term for that called a shit show Yes. Yeah. So that's absolutely right. And add to that, bots. And and so um, this bot question, I think, is very interesting. We've written about it briefly, but how many bots are there on Twitter? You know, Elon was saying as he was trying to negotiate the price, maybe it's 20 percent. I think he said, you know, it's a pretty big number if you're an advertiser paying for those fake people on, on that fake part of your site. But maybe it's bigger. Who knows? And I don't think anybody has the answer right now. But I would, we hazarded a guess a long time ago saying it was 25 to 40. I mean, imagine that your business model is, um, I'm an advertiser and I will pay you every time you send me a bill, no matter what it's for. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And in the same technology in a world we're talking about here, and I'll use technology of deep fakes and Dali too, and all these things to create very believable bots, you know, who look beautiful and handsome and they're athletic and they went to MIT and they're all friends with everybody else and they're all friends with you and they're all fake. And, and, you know, it's easy. It's fast. It's cheap. I remember someone in the military told me one time, I won't say who, but when we were still at a time in our world, our society where a single bot was maybe, maybe not, you know, I'm not sure they can do that. Right. Can't pull that off. And he said, Oh, get ready for infinite number. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So if you could do an infinite number and then get paid for each one, whoa, that's a good deal. Well, I think, so there's a bigger trend that we've kind of seen playing out in the news this week that I want to talk about with in relation to this. What you're describing is at its core, a disincentive issue, right? So the creators of, and the operators of Twitter and Facebook are not incentivized to reduce or remove bots because it increases their ad revenue. Just the opposite. And this is true of many venture-backed companies, right? It's a fundamental thing that you wrestle with. Scale up. When you are an entrepreneur of any nature, right? You and I have both experienced this. Everyone wants to know how many, what's your growth rate? How many new users? How many new customers have you added each week? And so there's this massive pressure 
within the VC and entrepreneurial worlds to continue increasing no matter what the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. you know, I would say that, you know, uh, Elizabeth Holmes, who was sentenced to 11 years in prison this week, probably, you know, I, I'm not defending her actions, but she was in that same pressure pressure cooker. And what happens when you put people in in that pressure cooker is that they will do the thing. They commit fraud. It, they commit fraud, yeah. right? And so I think, you know, part of what yeah. we're, we're experiencing and seeing throughout the tech ecosystem this week with all these layoffs and, you know, the, the de- like decline of BTX and all, all this stuff, it's like, oh, this ecosystem is creating artificial value. It's yes. creating fraud. It's not value, yeah. Yeah. It's actually the opposite of value. Right. Yeah. And so I think there's a bigger question to be had, which is the role of venture capital. You know, we watched uh, Matsuyoshi Sun's soft bank portfolio. Yeah. That, that was their bread and butter is companies that had to pretend like they were making as, you know, that pretend or onboard as many people as possible, whatever cost. And it seems to me that we are experiencing some, a little bit of, you know, at least the destruct, the destruction of that archetype in some ways, an erosion. Uh Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, we won't have to go into names. We know, we know the VCs who've been pushing that hardest and, um, you know, it was, you know, go ahead, scale to the billions, even if you don't make a dime. Doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter, matter if you're losing no. money. We'll figure it out later. Yeah. And it almost always meant advertising later. Um, and it created this whole fraud bank we're talking about. This whole, you know, gigantic landscape of fraud. I don't know how many dollars are involved, but I think we're just seeing the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Elon's taking a lot of arrows. That's okay. He can take it. But my guess will be when all the dust settles, <laughs> who else, right? So what were the real numbers once he gets inside, figures out what the real numbers were inside Twitter? We probably will know, probably. And then, by the way, how about Facebook? They've already laid off 11,000 this week. Right. Why are they doing that? Is it just what we th- we're told by inflation? Or is there more to it? Are these guys like Facebook, like Mark Zuckerberg, are they terrified that, uh-oh, here comes the revelation, and each of us is going to go through a cold shower on this one when we find when we have to tell the truth about how many bots were in our network? right? Everybody's going to have to do it. Then what happens? That's going to be an interesting experience. So going back to the kind of topic at hand, when we think about, especially people in the tech industry, you know, who have had this kind of blind belief in technical solutions, when we think about applying technical solutions appropriately, how do we get better at doing that? Like, what is the pro? You know, we've kind of we're kind of going through a bit of a reckoning right now. I think as an industry, what what do we do differently moving forward? I think that Twitter is really a great case study or platform for this conversation. Really is, and um, not in any way unnatural. It's probably a good teaching moment, you know, teachable moment for entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs. But look at look at it this way: we just had the not my favorite guy, Putin's favorite guy, the head of the IRA in uh, Russia, admitting on uh, Reuters interview publicly that Russia, uh, and this is your expertise, of course, I'm playing the crowd here. Uh, Russia, of course, they interfered with the the Trump election. Of course they did. Yeah. And they're good at it. 
they enjoy it. It's and not keep hard, doing it. and yeah, they're going to yeah. keep doing it. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I mean, that's that is true. We should. It's it's worth stating that that is true, not just in the United States. It's true all over Europe. You know, Russia has interfered in European elections. Cambridge Analytica, the company that was responsible for a large part of U.S. interference, also was was you know working in elections throughout Africa, India, uh, Asia, so South America. So you just you know this is not an isolated issue. No, it's not. And in dictatorships, there's no free speech. Forget about that, Elon, and forget about that, you media companies. There's no TikTok in China, although they say there is, there isn't. I mean, get ready. Because they understand the price to their own power of having free speech and having media companies that are free. So they don't have any. And, and yet they are happy to take advantage of ours and make and do the whole thing we're talking about now with bots and everything else. So to have them you know, laughing at us because we allow them to do it and it works, I don't know. We have to respond in some intelligent way, not because they said it, but because it's true. Yeah. It's just true, you know. Uh, we're suckers for this stuff, and we eat it up all. QAnon, I want to go back to that day, right? That's great. So um, what's in the future? If, if we were willing to buy up all that QAnon stuff, what else is going to be next in the next election or whatever? It's it's really crazy. And I think that, um, you know, we're, un, we're unready for it. But if you look at all the technology that I mentioned a minute ago, if you're the bad guy, and I'm just saying it clearly, you're the asshole. You're the bad guy. You're our head of the IRA, Internet Research Agency in Russia, and you're going after America or France or wherever you pick, and you've got a thousand bots, hundred thousand bots, any number you want, you know, with every face and nationality and diversity quotient you want in there. And they're all saying whatever you want them to say. Then um, what technology can you bring against that? That's the question. People can't beat it. I, I guarantee you, people can't beat it. Mm-hmm. So if you're a human moderator, forget it. You're not going to get it. But I believe there are absolutely are ways that technology could stop that. And the question is, do you care? And so as you pointed out, I don't think there was a strong enough incentive yet for the owners or the managers of these large networks to care. But if they had to care, now we're back to the government again. Right. Do, do, do human beings need rules? And the answer Absolutely is yes. Yes. So if we agree on that, government is required, it's not optional. People in large groups can do very bad things. Okay, so we need rules. Then once those rules are made up, haven't been yet, haven't been yet, there's no cop in the shop, there's no no cop on the beat. Once there is one and, and there's a rule about what Facebook or Twitter or whoever has to do to protect you and me and our families and our country from that kind of behavior, then could technology do it? Absolutely. I really believe that. There are patterns buried in deep fakes that I think could be found in a minute. There are oh, patterns absolutely. buried in, in the behavior of IRA. We could find those guys out so fast. So, you know, we'd have it down to what kind of undershorts were they wearing that night. So we'll find all the patterns if we want to. And the problem is we still don't want to. I want to. I was so want you want to, but the I problem is the problem is that Mark Zuckerberg does not want to. Well, we want to help the him. Is, the problem is that TikTok does not want to. The problem is well, they're that, owned by China. I know that, and we can come back to them in a second. But but the the problem is not that we don't know what those solutions are. The problem is that the actors that are responsible for implementing those solutions are do not have an incentive to do so. I want yes. to say one. I want to say one thing, which is the United States, I think, has historically been really bad 
at setting policy and specifically setting fines or fees for companies that violate policy that would incentivize them to right. not do those things, right? right. Europe actually is very good at and, this. So Germany passed a law before its election that required, that said, a, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a meaningful fee for any single piece of misinformation that was found on the platform. That actually, you know, changed the the, the calculus at Facebook in a way that most other, no other hearing or regulation in the United yeah. States has so far. It's the two by four that would get your attention. Yeah. yeah. So we need that. Yeah. Well, that's it. So I, I think there are appropriate times for technology to play a role, whether you're evil or whether you're good. And this is a good example of that. And I'd love to see the spy versus spy thing happen under the proper government regulations, because I think the good guys would win. And, and so there are good reasons to, you know, have speed limits and radar detectors and radar, all that stuff. It works. And, you know, we should be doing that with our, uh, the most important thing of all, which is our, our social networks and our media. I had an interesting conversation last week with um, the, I was speaking at an event with the Attorney General of Washington State, Bob Ferguson, who has done a lot actually to set these kinds of policies and yes. go after violators of these kinds of things nationwide. Um, and one of the things he said was that Facebook is still not adhering to state elections law. Even though they just lost their next case that he brought against them. Right. Which is something they're going, they're working on right now is yeah. they they have not been. So I think even once, you know, a law is put in place, there is like, this is why I keep coming back to the VC thing and the, you know, the incentive structure. There's still a strong, there's a still a strong incentive for companies to keep breaking that law. Money. Money, money, money. Yeah. The money has to be bad enough. Well, the Europeans have done it. They're charging billions of dollars to American companies and fines. Mm -hmm. It has to be bad enough that it starts hitting your, your profit line. Right. Otherwise it won't change. That's it. So you're right. We're all right here. It's just like, I think we're at this moment where we need to have this conversation we're having right now here, you and I, uh, as a nation or as a world and, and, you know, shake things up a bit so that we don't end up destroying civilization as we love it or end up living in a kind of China place that we hate where the most repressive possible government in the world uses technology to keep its thumb on every single breath you take. We need to avoid that. And, and before we get there, we need to avoid that. I agree. Thank you for your time. If you want to learn more about this and specifically its applications to the technical applications are correct and appropriate technical applications to things like autonomous driving, democracy and voting, and China's use of tech and social in the United States, you can read this week's global report by becoming a member uh, at the link below. Mark, thank you so much for your time. Great to talk thank to you, you as always. Fun as always. Talk to you soon.